Megan gets nervous when she puts, she pulls out these old songs. And she always comes to me and she's like, do you know this song? And I'm like, oh yeah, that one's, that one's a way back one. The songs you can, the songs that you thought you weren't retaining as a child, that you were just singing out of obligation. And then man, they just come back so easy. So I'm grateful for those. Y'all have a seat. As we get, we're going to transition, say hi to somebody next to you, New Life Kids. Y'all head to the back. Get ready to have level 12 awesome fun time. Don't worry, grown-ups. We will also have level 12 awesome fun time. I just, I just set a high bar for myself, so get ready. Uh-oh. Rain was forecast today, so intermittently it might feel like the Rainforest Cafe. I thought I heard a sprinkle earlier, but we'll see how it goes. Um, if you've been with us through these series over the summer, uh, while Jeremy has been on sabbatical, we've been talking about uh, stories of God's faithfulness. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is James and I'm an elder here. And I'm going to bookend our series this Sunday to, to share with you some of the ways God has been faithful in my life and some of the revelation he has Revealed to me in a very, what's the right way to say this, patient manner. (laughs) If there is an example of God's patience, it is my entire life. So, uh, did somebody say amen? Because it's true. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, This all started um, about six years ago when, when when I, I've been saved since I was a little kid. And the Lord reaffirmed that for me. Uh, But I have only experienced the true God of the universe, the Almighty, the Alpha, the Omega. I've only begun experiencing and knowing Him for the past about six years. And six years ago, when I encountered the Lord here at this church, when when our little church closed and my living for myself self came over here and got prayed for one day, um, one of the most challenging verses for me personally, maybe ironically, came from the book of James. So I'm going to read to you from James. We're going we're gonna to start there. And don't worry, it's, this, is, this is all unintentional. I'm not like, I'm, James is preaching, so I'm going to read out of the book of James. This is just how it came up. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to James. If you have your phones, you can scroll to James. If you have the entire Bible memorized, flip over in your mind to James. And uh, to chapter 3, we'll start in verse 13 through 16. James talks a lot about wisdom. And this is a piece of applying that wisdom and what God's wisdom looks like. And starting in verse 13... If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up. Don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. 
I like the way the New King James also says that it says, wherever you find envy, bitter envy, and self-seeking, there you will find disorder and chaos of every kind. So I'm going to show you this so y'all can write it down so if you fall asleep later, you'll, have, you'll, got, you'll get the point. Um, this is the key truth I want to bring to you, is that when we incorporate, in quotations, Jesus into our life, we attach him like a side cart. We still are operating with ourself as the focus. We drive, he rides. This maintains a self-centered and divided loyalty between us and God. And I've titled the message, Don't Sidecar Jesus. Now, if you don't know what a sidecar is, I want you to think back to Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, It's the little thing that attaches to the motorcycle so that you can have a side passenger. Um, And this was the picture in my mind as I as I developed this because my life started my my life with the Lord started with me sidecarring him. Uh, I went to a I grew up in a Southern Baptist church and heard the word preached by a godly man who I knew for many many years who I still hold dear, but at no point was I what's the best way to say it discipled. There was the point of my salvation at eight years old when I had heard heaven and hell enough that I knew that I didn't want to go to hell, and that sounded scary, and I would not like that. So one evening in the, in the bottom bunk of my bunk bed, I said, Jesus, that sounds scary. I would like you to do whatever you need to do to make sure that I don't go to there. And thankfully, God takes us at our words even when we don't fully understand the concepts. Amen? Um. And that began my walk with Holy Spirit. And I can look back and see points in which the Lord was speaking to me. But I didn't start out with any kind of understanding of who I was and who God was, who I was to God and who God was to me. I, for lack of a better term, had the religious definition that I was a terrible sinner and I had to earn God's love and I had to check all the right boxes and attend church in the uh, correct number of days, and I needed to uh, have the right image and maintain the right reputation amongst others. My identity came from my outward actions and other, what other people thought of me. Also, in the Bible, that's called the fear of man. So I operated in... A fear of man, and when you fear what other, when you fear what man thinks, you change your behavior, you adjust how you operate, so that people think kindly or better or whatever you want them to think of you. And so, I invited Jesus to save me from hell. He took up my offer, and he sat down in the sidecar, and I became sin focused and performance driven. So, fast forward through my life, and that's create that created a scenario of divided loyalty. Now, you don't think of it that way because if your only example is Jesus comes into my life, saves me from hell, and then helps me achieve my ideas, 
and you and you you're wandering through life with cycle sin cycle after sin cycle of repeated failure over and over again you're living out the sinful nature that God has said exists but no one's revealed the truth of who you are the completed work Christ has accomplished like we sang about earlier i don't know if you know this we're going to pause right now to say it god's work is finished i don't know if you know that you can't you can't earn your way into god's house he already put you there all he is asking for is for you to step into surrender Continue. We talked to me, Megan and I have talked about this all week. How complete God's work is, and how everything He does is inviting us into the perspective that He has. It's not earning our way there as much as it is realizing the truth of what He's done. And it's intimidating at first, and it feels, if you're new to it, it feels very uncomfortable, it feels counterintuitive. But that's what earthly wisdom does. It feels comfortable. So divided loyalty. In my divided loyalty, religion created Christian principles that I attempted to implement in my own strength. And when you view Scripture in this manner as its Christian principles that I need to incorporate into my life, You remove the context of Scripture, which is every person, every main character is fully yielded to God's work in every way. Paul writes most of his letters from prison. Every apostle leads a yielded life that follows a counterintuitive direction that leads to their death. And I'm not saying this to tell you that you need to go find a path to die. You do spiritually. You need to surrender completely to the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm not telling you to run out and go martyr yourself. But what I am saying is that when we don't understand that it begins with full and total surrender of every area of your life to the Lord, you will struggle. You will struggle in cycles of failure. It says right here in where we just read, for wherever you find jealousy and selfish ambition or self-seeking, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. We invite chaos into our life when we put ourselves at the center. We don't, we don't step out in it, and, I, and I'm, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that lots of times I'm unaware of it, that I'm living in selfish ambition. And we ascribe that to a lot of different things, but essentially if self-seeking. I'm going to go make it happen independent of what God thinks. Selfish ambition. I'm going to go achieve for my own reasons. And we may not be able to articulate that in the moment about what we're doing. But wherever we find that, we invite chaos into our lives because that's earthly wisdom. 
divided loyalty renders us blind and deaf. Now, I don't know if y'all were here to hear Lori preach a few Sundays back, but she talked about how the parables were given and, and talked about how if you, if you have ears here, if you have eyes to see, see. And that was revelatory for me because I, I had for a long time thought, Lord, why did you do parables the way you did them? Because nobody could understand, and that's not really fair. But, I mean, you're God. You do whatever you want to. So, I mean, I'll, take, I'll also take that explanation. Um, and it was, in her message, clearly articulated to me that God was calling through John the Baptist and through hundreds of years of history with the Israelites anyway, calling people to repentance. John was there to prepare the way for the Lord. And the, the, way, the way the way was prepared, there we go, was through repentance, turning from yourself and turning to the Lord. If we envision this from, a, from the motorcycle sidecar perspective, it's noticing the person you're sitting next to and realizing who they are because he's a much better driver. And so this, this revelation of, oh, you were calling people to repentance so they could understand when you spoke and they could see the Messiah. He was trying to, I guess, I don't know if this is a word, unblind the people. So when we walk in this self-seeking, in, when our motives are selfish or we're motivated by envy or jealousy, we're motivated by pride. And pride in all its forms will blind us in some capacity. Earlier in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is, an, is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. What does it say? It says, if you need wisdom, ask, and he will give it to you. It says, we'll give it to you. And then we go a little bit further and says, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Not that he won't give it, but that you won't be able to receive it. Because if we are divided we won't see his wisdom as wise. If we're serving another master, when he gives us his wisdom that is often uncomfortable or counterintuitive or pick, pick it painful, we won't see it as wisdom when we're serving ourselves, money, whatever we're doing. In the same way that the people were blind to the parables that Jesus was sharing and their meaning, we also can be blind to his wisdom when we aren't surrendered, when we aren't solely 
serving the Lord. When we are serving ourselves, we put on blinders in some capacity. I I include myself in here, y'all. Don't hear me just hammering you. This is for me. Divided loyalty renders us blind and deaf. And a house divided cannot stand. In Matthew 6, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, Jesus is speaking specifically about money here, but the principle still holds true for whatever else we serve, whether it's ourself or something else. Because we, in our sensual nature, will serve what's comfortable. We will not naturally gravitate toward pain and suffering and discomfort. If our loyalty is divided, we will serve the master of convenience, of success, of comfort. We will serve the master that says, yeah, you're doing it right, and measure in all the ways the world measures. Because God is not measuring our devotedness or our discipleship through our checking account, our church attendance, or how many times we have said the word Jesus out loud to people in public. God's measure is a heart measure that oftentimes we may not even appreciate ourselves, but it's a measure of our yieldedness. Are we truly surrendered? Are we bearing the fruit he said we would bear? Are we discipling and being discipled? Are we known to him and are we known to to our community? And his metrics aren't distributed quarterly so you can check your performance. But he invites us into a relationship and into a relationship with other people and it's not transactional and that's really counterintuitive to the way the world works. The world wants you to work earn and receive the reward, and Jesus starts you out with the reward and says, work backwards from here. We can't serve two masters. When we do, we serve our sinful nature, and we have cycles of sin and failure. Our identity comes from ourselves, comes from our actions or our things, or from what people think. Pick a thing. Pick a thing. If your identity is in anything other than Jesus, if that goes away, then you are in crisis and crumble. What is it? I mean, this can get, we can can get real. This gets convicting. Is it your family? Is it your savings account? Is it your work? Is it the praise and accolades of your fans or your social, how many people follow you on social media? I'm old, so I don't, I, don't have, I don't have a lot of followers. So you may be able to discount what I say. But when we put our identity somewhere else, like I did, this is a story of God's faithfulness in my life. My identity, I only knew what I was good at working. And I liked it when people told me I did a good job. And so... Those became, I was my work, or I was my accomplishments. And so then I began to see the Lord in the same way. So if the Lord wants, if I want to be in good standing with the Lord, I will accomplish all the tasks. I will check all the boxes. 
uh, except for the ones that require me to like have relationship and read the Bible and pray and stuff uh, because that's dumb and I want to do what I want to do. <laughs> so I would do what religion tells you to do, which is go to church, check the box, smile and tell everyone that everything is going all right. And uh, then you win. You win religion and heaven will be full of phony fake people like yourself. And that's how I, that's how I operated. And in, and you were doing your own thing during the week. So for me, uh, there for about 15 years, that was addiction to pornography. That was uh, self seeking. That was that was undercutting people to make myself look good. That was that was all kinds of things: anger, bitterness, strife. Pick pick a thing. Masters I served at different times over 15 years. All while Jesus was in the sidecar, I was steering, and I was telling Jesus, "I don't know if you if you love efficiency. I have I have probably an unnatural obsession with efficiency. I like a good system." And what the Lord continues to show me is that just because it's efficient doesn't mean it's the right way to do it. And I'm like, "But Jesus." What about all this wasted effort? <laughs> you ever argue with the Lord? It's futile. I'm thankful he's patient. Processes we go through, case in point. Um, <laughs> uh, where I can see, well, if, if so-and-so would just do their job, we would not be where we are because then it would be fixed. So and so. And then at the back end of that is who is also a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for them. Ain't none of y'all in here experienced that. Y'all are, too, y'all are much, much well, more, more well off than I am. So I'm driving my Motorcycle with my sidecar, Jesus in my sidecar. I'm not paying Jesus much attention. I'm like going 120, and I'm like turning my ear toward him periodically and be like, Jesus, make this happen, and I go back to driving. I'm going too fast. I'm going too fast to hear anything, and I'm praying at him because I want him to implement my ideas because the Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, you can read that the wrong way. He'll give me my heart's desires. Well, here are my heart's desires, Lord. Joke's on me. My heart's evil and depraved. He's like, not those desires, bro. Not them. So we're going a million miles an hour, and the Lord is patient, and he is faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die to him, we'll also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Praise God. For he cannot deny who he is. Man, aren't you thankful for that last part? Who? Who? How many times have I been unfaithful? Lost count. Lost count. So he's faithfully riding in that sidecar. He's like, I live in you. I've got seeds planted in you. We're going to get there. 
we're going to get there. But he's got to treat, he, he treats everybody differently, but y'all, he's been real patient with me. But what he does is he lets me drive to where I'm going. And he hears the intermittent desperate prayers where the Holy Spirit breaks through my selfishness and I pray things like, humble me. (laughs) Oh, I prayed that really early on. I want to be humble. I want to be a good father. He hears those and he sets a course And part of that course might be letting us crash into the mountain. So it was for me that God was faithful to stick with me, but he loves me too much to leave me where he found me. He loves me too much to to let me continue existing in my sin and depravity. He's done to he's he's completed the work. He's yelling at me to see to say, "Hey, just look over here. If you would slow down enough to look to see who you're riding with, you would be like, "Oh, please drive. I'll ride." You know how much easier riding is? Anybody drive everywhere and then there's that occasional time where you're riding with somebody and you're like, "I can just I could take a nap. I could do anything." Someone else is is driving the whole thing. I don't have to worry about anything because they're driving. I mean, unless it's your teenager, but you get what I'm saying. The relief and the lack of burden to be responsible for everybody in the car and obey all the regulations and make sure you don't hit that one guy and make sure you don't you get a you get past that one dude driving crazy who's reading a book while he's driving. All of that, all of that striving and maintaining and everything else goes away because you're riding. And when you ride with the perfect driver, there's no room to worry. Somebody say amen. He loves us too much. In Second Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia where we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Now, Paul is encountering a lot of opposition, but he sets... He sets a clear example that God will put us in places where we in our own strength cannot endure. It's a place I was brought to where everything I found identity in began to be crushed and ground down. And I needed to fail in all the ways that I found identity. They all needed to be torn down independent of how I felt about them. And that was uncomfortable, to put it mildly. That was stressful, to put it mildly. I had crisis. Everything that I found meaning in wasn't there anymore. 
And in my desperation, I turned to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't... Recalling some of those teachings from childhood, just like we talked about the hymns and things we sing that stick with us from childhood, those things He planted long ago that maybe I didn't recognize actually registered in my brain, recalling that the Lord has a plan and He wants to do a good work in me. And so in the anxiety and stress and sleeplessness and restlessness, I called out to the Lord and I said, I don't know what to do, but you said that you want to help and here I am and I don't know. And we found our way to this church. And the second, third Sunday, I felt like I needed to come up here and get prayed for. And y'all, I don't have a charismatic background, and the the Lord speaking to me was a foreign concept. So I just knew I needed to come up here. I didn't know why. <laughs> and I was resistant, but I came. And I got prayed for, and I encountered, it's probably a fraction of the percent of God's love but I encountered an overwhelming, tangible, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. I encountered the living God and felt his complete and total love for me. It was right there. And I left that moment different. I felt a joy I'd never felt before. I didn't have a five-year plan for all this. But I knew I encountered a powerful, loving, living, tangible God. And in the middle of that encounter, the only words in my body were, use me. And it felt so easy in that moment to give everything. So easy. Now come past that moment. And there's a lot of unlearning and new learning. Understanding who I am in God's completed work and how he sees me, that he delights in me, that he doesn't look at me and see my sin, but he looks at me and sees his son. That he's empowered me, and just like Lindsay talked about last week, he's gone before me everywhere I go. That he surrounds me as I go there. And that he talks to me. Our God talks to His children. But it took crashing into the mountain. It took being crushed and overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. He loves me too much to leave me in my sin. And so he says, if it takes crushing to get you to stop and to look over and see who's riding with you, then so let the crushing begin. I don't know how to tell you this, but it was in a graceful, loving way. I don't know how you gracefully and lovingly are crushed, but it's a thing. But in that suffering, he comforted me. 
And this wasn't a comfort that the world could provide. This was a comfort only the Holy Spirit could provide, something I'd not felt before, but that's because I was too focused on me and achieving what I wanted to do. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When we are troubled, when they are troubled, excuse me, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. And so I found myself here at this church with people that love the Lord that weren't trying to pretend to do religion and check all the boxes and make the happy faces and say everything's okay, but just some very authentic people who loved Jesus, who had an idea of who they were, and were trying to do what the Lord wanted to do for this church, for them, and to do life together. And I don't know, I don't know how to say it any more simply than the Lord wants to walk with you, and He wants to walk with you with other people walking with Him. He wants, you to, he wants to walk with you in the most vulnerable, authentic way, with other vulnerable, authentic people that are filled with the love of God that have intimate relationship with him because the, 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 big, the big factor in my transformation was understanding that I played no role in it. <laughs> I didn't transform me. The Holy Spirit did the work of transformation in me, but only after I stopped enough to see Jesus in the sidecar and say, you know what, take over wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go, Jesus, I'll do it. In any way, whatever form, let's go. He said, okay. And as I spent time with him, not focused on the direction of my life, but spending one-on-one time with him, because how many of you know the Lord's got a pretty good multitasking situation going on? He can drive and talk. The more I spent riding and not worried about where I was and where I was going and how I was going to get there and whether we're going to get gas and how we're going to get snacks... I had time to sit with Jesus and know him and begin to know him and for his word to become alive in my life and for me to begin to understand that God was not concerned with my sin because he took care of that already. He wanted to know me and he wanted me to know that I was his son in whom he was well pleased. And he wanted to speak to me. He wanted to share the deep things of his heart with me. And he wanted me to share the deep things of my heart with him. And he just wanted to know me and to be known by me. And it became so simple. This is a simple gospel. We throw all kinds of junk in there to make it complicated. Jesus just wants to know you. The Father wants you to know that you're his son or daughter. And he wants to know you. So God's faithful. God's faithful to me. Even though I spent decades of my life serving myself and inviting chaos and disorder, he never left me. He never left me. He never left me. He stuck with me and he said, I see what you're doing but I can think a little further ahead than you. And the most efficient paths 
aren't always the right paths because I've got some things you need to learn along the journey. And there are some places you need to see on the road to your destination. In our suffering, he comforts us and we're able to know him more intimately. It's all about intimacy. So I want to encourage you today, if you've sidecarred Jesus, just stop. Slow down, pull over, and tell him, you know what? You drive. I know that means we're probably going to have to go through some weird stuff, and I'm going to have to unlearn some things, and you're going to have to turn my life upside down, but it's worth it. We have a picture in our house. Um, it's a picture from this artist uh, that we found on Instagram that does a lot of um, faith-based art and it's a house but it's upside down and it's on fire and the caption says in my home as it is in heaven and there are days I look at that picture and I'm like yes Lord and there are days I look at that picture and go oh Lord (laughs) in my home as it is in heaven I want to be the fullness of who God's called me to be here And that has required me to shut up and be still. To patiently endure. But to receive the ultimate comfort from the comforter. And to see God as that father whose arms are always open. Who is never ashamed of us. Who always receives us with gladness. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to be done. That's, I think that's all I got. But I want to encourage you. If this is not a thing you've done in your life, if you've sidecarred him, if you've let religion say incorporate Jesus into your life, let's, let's undo that. And the Lord will take you at your word. You don't have to have all the right words to say about it. You can just say, hey, I don't want that, Lord. I want to surrender my whole life. And then he'll start to work that out. But to stick with it because... There's for sure discomfort because he wants to comfort you so that you can know him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Father, that you receive us with open arms, that your grace and mercy are new every day, that you have satisfied every sin debt we have, that, Father, when you look at us and we say, oh, look at my sin, you're like, what sin? What sin? Jesus, do you see any sin? Nope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Father and that you are comforting us, strengthening us, helping us to endure, to become more like you. So we surrender it all. Even for us that have already said yes, we say yes again, and we say yes to every area. We pray, Lord, that we would remain so. In Jesus' name.